0: Thank you all for coming. I turned on the um, uh, website uh, page for the events of this term and looked at the various headings and saw global switch to digital television, national differences and emerging outcomes. That's interesting, I must go to this. <laughs> <laughs> then I realised. <laughs> so uh, anyway, thank you if you all had the same reaction. I'll try and uh, live up to it. What I'm going to um, talk about is outline briefly there, um, there's always a sort of dilemma on these occasions as to whether I want to be interrupted or, or, or not. I think what I'm going to suggest is that I pause at the end of the basic plot and pause again at the end of national differences and take questions and comments there so that you don't get you know too long of me droning on, but I don't get questions about the slide after next, which is what tends to happen otherwise. So that, that, that's the idea. I will begin with the basic plot. Um, I mean just looking around the room some of you will be more familiar with this than I am even. But it is worth um, just explaining for new readers what we mean by digital television and what we mean by digital switchover. Um, don't be too um, put off by some of the words. Um, digital technology basically involves coding and then compressing signals, broadcasting signals in this case. And we're talking, although production is also digitised, we're talking primarily about television transmission. Uh, Television transmission takes place via various routes of distribution, uh, terrestrial, which is um, from hilltop uh, transmitters to uh, rooftop aerials, and then by satellite cable and increasingly by broadband as well. So it's it's multi-platform but the focus of digital switchover tends to be on the terrestrial spectrum because analogue terrestrial spectrum um, can be saved by being used more efficiently with digital compression and one of the principal motives for um, uh, completing uh, switchover is to switch off analogue terrestrial television and then use the frequencies saved either for more broadcasting, or for telecommunications, or for some combination of the two, and there's quite a lot of pressure from mobile telecommunications, mobile wireless for the spectrum, and quite a lot of potential revenue for governments there if they choose to auction it. So um, when people talk about switchover, they really um, are using a benchmark of switching off analog terrestrial television. Transmissions, and the way you achieve that in the most conventional model is to simulcast, in other words, duplicate the uh, analog services on a digital terrestrial transmission, uh, so that the two are running in parallel. Uh, do that for a period of years. During those period of years, the consumers are expected either to buy uh, equipment for digital terrestrial television, a set-top box or a new television, or alternatively they may be migrating to satellite and cable and broadband, in which case no problem. Uh, And the policy tends to be neutral as between platforms, but one way or another you want to get people off analogue terrestrial because once you've got them off, um, you can then switch it off, save save the spectrum. And there is an international framework for all this set by the International Telecommunications Union, which is in charge of technical standards and has some role in relation to timing. But in practice, um, a lot of it, and the most important bits, happen below international level. Uh, On the technical standards side, uh, whereas on the internet, you know, this kind of happens globally, and it all seems to work whichever country you're in. Digital television, there's an American set of standards, there's a European set of standards, there's a Japanese set of standards, Chinese set of standards, there's a Brazilian variant on the Japanese standards, and these are different people who are competing with one another uh, commercially as much as technically. And so um, all these standards have been recognized by the ITU, and as far as timing is concerned, the ITU is divided into three uh, regions: Region one is uh, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Region two is the Americas, and region three is Asia. And region one has committed itself uh, by treaty to uh, uh, stopping the protection of analogue terrestrial in 2015, and therefore, by implication, completing digital switchover by then. Uh, the other two regions are not um, tied to a timetable at all, and the timetables are generally driven by by nations. So. That's the basic plot, and perhaps that, um, that was why I said I'd pause first. So, any, any problems there, any questions? Fine. Okay. On to national differences. Now, here is a chart which shows countries down the left-hand side, the date at which analogue terrestrial television has been switched off in the middle and the duration, and the duration is timed from the point at which simulcasting of digital terrestrial and analog terrestrial began. Marking the beginning is is, is tricky because people carry out pilots and they, they scratch their heads as to which set of standards they're going to adopt and they hum and ha over the legislation or the regulations. But there comes a point where in this country, for example, BBC and ITV and Channel 4 and Channel 5 all launch digital services on terrestrial television and that's the point at which I've counted the start. So the number of years from that to the point where enough consumers have acquired the receivers for uh, the uh, government to feel confident about switching off the analogue terrestrial signal without a popular rebellion. And that's the first half of the two-page chart and as you can see there are significant um, differences showing up there already. And the second page gives you quite an interesting answer down the bottom. (laughs) We were one of the first nations to start digital broadcasting, and um, we have been passed by a very large number of others in the course of uh, the time that's elapsed since. We will finish this October, uh, but from 1998, when the first services were launched uh, till um, this October, uh, counted up as 14 years. So, I mean, I'm sure by the end there will be others who uh, take even longer, uh, but they're likely to be in um, continents other than Europe, I think. Uh, and um, so you can see the variation goes from one, on the second page, the variation goes from one year to 14 years. So uh, the differences between countries are significant. I'm going to go into um, a bit more detail about the United States, about Europe, about the UK, about Japan and about China um, uh, in some of the subsequent slides. But over this table, I wanted just to give you an overview of the main factors that account for national differences. Um, One of the first and most obvious is is motivation. Uh, I mean, what's the principal focus and what's the strength? Have we got a keen government that wants to get on with this, um, either because it wants to do so as a matter of industry policy and be in the technical vanguard, or have we got um, a government that's um, nervous or in no great hurry? Have we got broadcasters who, for competitive or other reasons, actually want to get on with it? Um, or have we got broadcasters who are really quite happy in the analogue world where um, they don't have that many competitors and um, got quite a big share of the audience and rather like to keep it that way as long as possible and are dragging their feet? So, I mean, that's a, that's a major uh, variant in, um, uh, in, in, in cause of variance in timing size of market is significant, obviously the bigger the market, the more houses have got to be uh, uh, transitioned, but the size doesn't relate directly. I mean, you would have thought smaller was easier, and there are examples like Luxembourg and and, and others that were early to switch, but Ireland and Portugal have been among the countries that have had the most difficulties, Uh, not least because of their current economic problems, but also... um, If you've got more than one platform established in a country, if you've already got cable and satellite and there aren't that many households um, in total, uh, the size of the market for launching a digital terrestrial proposition is quite small. And if in the case of Ireland you've got spinover from the UK, both from um, uh, the terrestrial broadcasters and from, um, from Sky, um, really it's, it's, it's a bit of a struggle. So um, there's no direct correlation between size and, um, and, 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 and speed. Platform mix is a major factor and um, the uh, scale of cable and satellite uh, can make the job very easy. If you've got a country like the Netherlands where virtually everybody's on cable, uh, then it's pretty straightforward because clearly the number of households that you've got to convert is is, is, is very small and there's not much of a political challenge. Uh, at the other extreme, countries like Italy, uh, certainly starting with over 80% terrestrial broadcasting, much more of a, of a, of a challenge. Uh, and it's... As a generalization, the case that um, it's been faster in sort of northern and western Europe, and where cable's quite highly uh, uh, spread, uh, than in the Mediterranean countries. But quite a lot is changing over time because satellite and cable are growing quite fast, and I mean, a, a small illustration of that. Romania had 40% terrestrial households in 2006, and it went down to 12% by the end of 2009. So this, you know, this is a dynamic uh, background against which countries are uh, transitioning, and um, in the case of Romania, you know, why, why, why not wait? Because <laughs> Why rush? Let, 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 let the migration do the work for you. So um, there are those sorts of things going on as well. Uh, Latent consumer spending power and market development, clearly in developing countries where there's not a lot of spare consumer spending power it's more difficult than where there is. Um, And what's the consumer proposition? Um, Is it HDTV? Is it uh, new services? How attractive are they? Uh, When this process first began HDTV tended to be a bit early, in other words the um, sets were very expensive uh, and if the Content was the same as in, as in standard definition, uh, growth tended to be a bit sluggish. Uh, situation changing now. And then, two other important factors early disasters, uh, as in the case of the UK, where we had, um, and I'll talk a bit more about this in a minute, where we had bankruptcy of the first um, major terrestrial uh, broadcaster that went into uh, pay TV, and Spain, where something very similar happened, and then Places where it stalled a bit, like in the United States and Australia, where it was a bit sticky to begin with, and they had to sort of rethink the policy before they got going. And then the last factor is subsidy. Um, I mean, you can either try and leave this almost entirely to the market, though nobody's done it entirely, I don't think, uh, or you can set out and um, pay as much as as um, as much as you feel you need to, um, which Croatia, for example, did, not least because it wanted to... Um, join the European Union and meet a European Union timetable to impress the um, Commission that it's um, you know, it a good good, good good country to join. Uh, and it duly joined. So um, those are some of the reasons why things uh, why things vary. And I'm going to go on now and um, talk about one or two specific cases in a, in a, in a bit more depth. Uh, in the United States, um, if we start with motivation, um, right Back at the beginning, um, before digital terrestrial television was invented, uh, the Americans were very keen to forestall a move by the Japanese to set a global standard for high definition television. And um, uh, American Manufacturers weren't making that many televisions themselves, but there was a significant uh, electronics industry left there, um, and and then all, all, all the sort of software and things around it, and the industry lobbied the the government to say, look, um, you know, we, we we need to think twice, as as indeed uh, did Europe at the same time. The broadcasters saw an opportunity to hog spectrum by um, arguing for high definition. Uh, particularly in the face of some lobbying by uh, the emergency services, more spectrum for things like um, firefighters and police and so on. Um, And um, so there was a sort of alliance of the industry and the broadcasters saying can we have our own American form of high definition and they invited bids and one of the bidders came up with a digital solution and the rest is history. Uh, And um, the FCC allocated spectrum It set a target of 2006 for switching off analog, Um, but the broadcasters were slightly less keen to get on with it than they were to establish the principle in the first place. And um, the public was slightly less keen too. And so it became apparent that the target was not going to be met and it was abandoned. Uh, But although the broadcasters were going slow and some of the congressmen were worried about the political implications of switching off um, uh, their television set where most of their constituents saw them, uh, the government was quite keen on the potential auction proceeds from uh, selling the spectrum off once it was cleared. And so the government intervened. It uh, found a piece of legislation dating back to 1962 um, which had been developed for a completely different purpose, and it decided to use it by, for, for regulating receivers. And it said all receivers of a certain size must be digital by a certain date, mm-hmm. starting with the big ones, and then the next size down by the next date, and the third size down by the, by the third date. And the consumer electronics industry took the FCC to court and lost. And uh, the piece of legislation (laughs) did what it was meant to. And at that stage, uh, the process was at least kick-started, because it meant that anybody who bought a new television was going to buy a digital one. Whereas, um, uh, clearly, amongst um, uh, the market otherwise, uh, they went on buying analogue. Uh, But the Americans really uh, got there in the end, uh, partly because so many American households were on uh, cable uh, cable and satellite, about 80% or more and partly by offering vouchers, $40 vouchers for receivers for anybody who was dependent on analogue terrestrial. Regardless of means, they didn't do any of this, um, we're going to help those who are disadvantaged, they just said, we're going to help those who depended on this technology. Though in practice, the people who were dependent on it tended to be um, less well-to-do and less likely to subscribe. They switched the date to February 2009, didn't quite make it, but finished it off in June. Um, But within a year, the FCC was coming back, um, having taken the spectrum, auctioned it off for $19 million or whatever it was, and um, uh, and was saying to the broadcasters, look, um, we've got a new broadband policy and we'd actually like some more spectrum out of you. Um, And this time, we're going to ask you whether you will collaborate with us, surrender some spectrum, and um, then uh, if you do, uh, and we auction it off, you can have a share of the profits. And they're arguing about that, as far as I know, uh, still. So um, that's case number one. European Union, um, uh, the EU itself had a rather um, awkward uh, start in this area because like the Japanese it had made an attempt to um, set a new uh, HD uh, standard in in, in analog and um, had rather fallen on its face and um, there were Uh, I won't go back into the the full history, but there was a technology called MAC, um, Multiplex Analog Component or something, uh, which was introduced really top-down over the dead bodies of various people in the um, industry who thought, what's wrong with the POW and CCAM standards we've got at the moment? And, um, I mean, the disaster in in, in this country was that... um, uh, we launched a platform, a satellite platform, uh, called um, British Satellite Broadcasting, using this um, uh, technology. Uh, Sky uh, launched with um, PAL um, using satellites that didn't come under the government regulation. Um, Scoop, Pool, um, BSB went out of business. Were essentially taken over by uh, Sky, which is why it's called B Sky today. And uh, so the, the, the kind of European Commission people who were behind, and, and indeed some of the sort of manufacturing uh, people who were behind that kind of top-down drive to set standards, tended to take a back seat when digital came along, and, and, and to think, well, let's let the market do a lot more of the work here, because you know we shouldn't be second-guessing, and people are not necessarily after the best toy technically um, if it doesn't work commercially. So Europe developed uh, a market in new standard definition channels rather than HDTV, which came along a bit later. Uh, Northern Europe, uh, as I've got there, cable and satellite was, uh, w- w- was dominant and uh, places like Germany and Scandinavia were quick to switch. Uh, Latin Europe, uh, much more dependent on terrestrial television, uh, switching a bit more slowly and in some cases uh, far from completing. And Spain having um, a company called Quiero that went into digital terrestrial pay TV in the face of uh, satellite and cable competition and went bankrupt uh, quite quickly. And then Spain uh, kind of paused and and came back much later, Uh, but but came back quite well and has now switched off. Uh, Italy started early. Um, initial moves kind of perpetuated the uh, de facto duopoly they had in Analog of um, uh, Rye and um, uh, Mediaset, the Berlusconi uh, company. And um, they invented a cunning subsidy which they said they could give to terrestrial uh, recipients, uh, receiver uh, owners, and to uh, people uh, who had one of the uh, broadband services, but not to their rival (laughs) satellite, Um, and the EU in the end ruled against that. Uh, But, you know, they kind of persisted, and uh, there are a few more channels now, but um, the whole thing has been fairly fraught legally and continues to be a bit of a muddle to this day. I think when last I looked, Italy was... Berlusconi had a scheme for giving some more channels away on a beauty contest uh, scheme where you know, people put in their bids and said how well they could do with the channels. Uh, and then Mario Monti came along and said we're not having that, um, we're going to have an auction because uh, you know, public expenditure needs the proceeds. Re- the and they're still scratching their heads about that. Uh, Romania, Bulgaria, Greece are struggling to meet a deadline which the European Union has recommended of 2012 and probably won't, but they probably will meet 2015. Uh, Croatia, I've talked about already, uh, achieved a, switch, uh, a swift switchover with um, subsidy. And um, uh, I mean, uh, when we come to questions, I can go into a bit more detail on other countries that I'm familiar with if, if, if you wish. But let's talk next about the UK. Here, as I think many of you will know, and um, I've alluded to already, the terrestrial broadcasters were very keen and wanted to compete with Sky in multi-channel television after this satellite disaster that I've been um, referring to. Because uh, in effect, when BSB went um, Down, uh, the terrestrial broadcasters lost an opportunity to get into uh, satellite broadcasting in the way that um, uh, terrestrial broadcasters in other countries were doing. It was happening in Japan, it was happening in Germany, um, but um, uh, the British broadcasters were were, were grounded uh, and saw that as digital came along, uh, Sky had a splendid opportunity to switch its satellite to digital and basically become synonymous with digital television. And the terrestrial broadcasters were in no position to take Sky on uh, in a straight head-to-head fight uh, by launching their own satellite television. So they saw terrestrial as an opportunity for a sort of return match, as it were, on their own ground and therefore jumped into terrestrial broadcasting very quickly. Before the technology was fully mature... And in some cases, before the commercial thinking was fully mature, and they were thrown a bit because um, the original scheme uh, had an alliance of uh, the company that became ITV Digital with Sky in it. But The European Union threw Sky out on competitive grounds, and so Sky became a a straight head-to-head competitor to ITV Digital in the field of pay TV, and ITV Digital, as you may remember, went bankrupt in 2002. Uh, meanwhile, at the BBC, um, we have been saying to one another for some time, <laughs> um, we don't believe that um, digital television should be basically a subscription service and that you have to subscribe to, uh, I, I speak using the word hour now, as I was there at the time, we don't, you, you shouldn't have to subscribe to a competitor in order to receive our services, if you pay your license fee, you should be able to get them. And so we were extremely keen to launch a free to view uh, version that um, uh, you could get just by buying a receiver in the same way as um, it worked in analog. Uh, We launched free view in alliance with Sky, uh, who were quite keen on the idea as well because it meant less competition for pay TV. And it was a stunning success. Uh, After which, it became feasible to think about Switch over. But the government stance was quite an interesting one. Um, First of all, it was extremely cautious. So, uh, strong contrast with the United States. There wasn't any sense that the uh, government was looking for a big auction dividend. Um, And indeed, um, there was a sort of feeling after there had been a huge um, uh, windfall from auctioning telecoms spectrum not long before, uh, that they couldn't pull off the same trick again because um, the auction had brought in too much money for the competitor's good and that um, next time it wouldn't be anything like as uh, profitable. And so the government were sort of um, nervous really, I think would be the, the word. People remembered the poll tax revolt where the public had basically refused to... Go along with this government policy, and you know, and I was working in the government at the stage. We had kind of said to one another, if "The public decide they're not going to buy these things. Um, frankly, you know, nobody's going to um, call an election on that basis. So um, uh, really, we have to take the public um, uh, with us. And so there was a desire to just let the market drive the take-up before um, anything too difficult politically was done. There was also an interesting moment when. Um, we went to the government and said, um, are you sure you want to go ahead with this? And the cabinet met and they said, yes, we want to go ahead with it. But Gordon Brown said, but there's no public money. And um, so the civil servants kind of scratched their head and said, well, in that case, we'll raid the licence fee, which they did. And so the uh, expenditure that went into the um, uh, most of the expenditure that went into the body that managed switchover, and the expenditure that went into the sort of help fund for uh, people uh, who were elderly or disabled um, came from the license fee. And uh, the timetable was set by the government saying to the broadcasters, well, you guys are in the sort of front line, you know, it's all being led by um, a group of broadcasters, what what timetable would you like? And the, the commercial companies thought, well, reasonably relaxed. About, um, is here you know we've got our analog market, we've got quite big shares, there's not a lot of business uh, in it for having a lot more competitors. so let's not rush. And the people who had to climb the mast said, oh well you often get bad weather and it's difficult to climb the mast and so um, I mean we'd done a, a, a piece of work that showed them that we could do it by 2010 and they said have ah, we'll a go for 2008 to 2012. And so um, by this, the end of this October it'll have been completed. Meanwhile, having taken so long, um, HDTV came along, and um, there was quite a tricky task to sort of stitch it into uh, the switchover process before it was complete. And again, I can go into more detail on that if if, if you want, but essentially the the regulator refused to give any extra spectrum at that stage, and um, so it needed an ingenious technical solution. Uh, Japan, I've talked about its failure to establish an analogue HDTV standard back in the late 80s, early 90s, Um, so in the end it was forced to move into digital television with a a later start. It set its own technical standards, um, after all the fuss that there'd been with um, uh, Europe and the United States, and um, uh, developed a set of technical standards which uh, enabled it to... um, Uh, have the same receivers receiving HDTV for terrestrial or for satellite broadcasting, which was quite uh, an innovation. And um, they also uh, had quite a cunning use of digital terrestrial for uh, mobile or portable reception. And they kind of got on with it. Um, and generally we're making good progress towards a 2011 switch-off target when, of course, they were hit by the earthquake and the tsunami. So there are three regions where they've not yet completed, uh, but elsewhere uh, they have. And um, so I've gone over that fairly quickly, but again, I can come back to it if you want me to. Uh, China is um, another interesting example. It decided it too would set its own technical standards. Um, there are a variety of reasons for this, I think one of them is it's, it's a very big television market. Um, uh, I mean, they make more televisions in the world than anybody else and they've got more television households in the world than anybody else. And so one of the things you can do if you set your own technical standards is to keep um, other countries, technologies and companies out, um, because, you know, you've got a whole new set of technical standards, it is unlikely that the Japanese or um, European uh, manufacturers are going to make receivers for that, for that market. Uh, another factor, which is sort of the opposite side of that coin, is that they're very reluctant on that scale to pay royalties to the Americans or the Europeans or the Japanese um, uh, if they can use their own technology and avoid it. So they develop their own standards for terrestrial broadcasting, but um, they haven't done a great deal about terrestrial broadcasting yet. Uh, I mean, one of the dilemmas the Chinese have got is that. Um, they obviously have of political control of broadcasting content and if digital television essentially offers you a lot more channels um, and you don't necessarily want to open the country up to a lot of new channels from outside or um, take the, uh, all the constraints off um, the range of channels you've got, um, you've got a slight dilemma as to um, uh, what, what, what you're going to do. But um, they are extremely keen to switch their cable systems fully to digital and have decided to do so by 2015. Cable serves the city populations and accounts for about a third of the households in the country and they found it quite difficult because uh, Viewers in these cities were already getting 20 annual channels on the cable, um, You know, lots of channels from CCTV and then a load of channels from the different um, uh, provinces and regions around the country that send their programs to one another by satellite and that tend to sort of circulate the same dramas around anyway. And um, so when they tried to expand the channels, I mean it was more channels from the same familiar providers. And the population wasn't all that keen either to spend extra money for new receivers or to pay higher subscriptions. And they ended up um, with quite a lot of state subsidy behind um, a, a transition scheme with quite strict deadlines for cities of different sizes. And um, I mean, I, I went there to do a bit of research, sort of asking, well, why why this was, I mean, you know, why. What's the problem? Um, if you've got 20 channels already in the cities and only uh, a few channels in the countryside and some areas without any television at all, why don't you deal with the rest of the country? Rather than, um, but, and, of course, the answer is partly that the cities are uh, the people with a bit more money to spend, uh, but also um, this is where, by and large, the educated population is, and we're looking now at a China which is very different from the... China of Mao Zedong's days. I mean, you you know, it kind of used to be um, led by peasant thinking and Little Red Book, and it's now a country that puts rockets in space and does a lot of sophisticated things, Uh, and it is a highly educated country with a highly educated population. And I think the, the Chinese were clearly asking themselves how we handle Information for a highly educated population, without um, losing political control, and one of the answers was to give them a lot more information about things that it was safe to give them information about. Of course, the boundaries of that get pushed, but I mean, clearly, we're thinking about kind of useful information as much as as much as anything. So they invest quite heavily in the sort of public service side of extra information. Meanwhile, Hong Kong, um, which was much more like. Um, uh, Europe in, in, in the setup with a lot of terrestrial television um, has, has now switched or is in the process of switching. And for the rest of the country, um, I mean, China clearly could and will to some extent um, extend digital terrestrial broadcasting. But you know, you look at the size of the country and the, the terrain, and you say to yourself, why on earth wouldn't you use satellite? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the reason they've been less keen on satellite is because, of course, satellite brings in outside countries broadcasts if you're not careful. And you have to have a license to have, in theory anyway, to have a, have a satellite receiver in China. And I mean you can get it if you're a foreign hotel but um, uh, not necessarily as a private household although it's not fully enforced that. In the end, what they did for areas initially that without any television at all, and I think they're now extending it, was to set up their own satellite service uh, with their own receivers that would only receive that services from that satellite, um, and um, it, to exclude it from the urban areas, so that this was a sort of uh, a walled garden for the rural areas, and cables the wall garden for the, for the for the urban areas. So you can see, and this is obviously relevant when we come on to discuss uh, questions like whether digital is good for democracy, you can see that actually what's going on here is a technical change, technology change, but without necessarily uh, radically altering the broadcasting uh, policy framework. So, um, last slide before I pause again... um, Elsewhere in Asia, um, things are going on, particularly uh, South Korea, which is busy switching. They started off using the American technology, stopped because they were a bit dubious as to whether it was as good as the European. Uh, But their their major manufacturer, LG, had invested so much in it that they decided to go ahead, um, which is what they're now doing. Uh, Australia and New Zealand, in their different ways, have gone for uh, a form of free view, uh, New Zealand was quite an interesting uh, example of what could have happened in the UK. They found that they got 40% satellite from Sky carrying the, um, uh, the terrestrial services and that if they did nothing, um, digital television would just have been Sky digital satellite. And in the end they decided they had to get into digital terrestrial as well and uh, duly and did so. Uh, Brazil has um, uh, hummed and hawed about um, which standards to adopt and in the end was um, given incentives uh, to use the Japanese uh, system, which um, uh, is, is certainly uh, highly competitive in technical terms. And um, as a result of that, other Latin American countries, which had initially either flirted with the American system or the European system, are starting to band together with Brazil using a variant of the Japanese system, which the Brazilians then attempted to sell to the South Africans and to other people in Africa. Um, After quite a lot of head scratching, um, South Africa and Ghana and other African countries stuck with the European DVB system. And they are, of course, in theory, signed up to the 2015 uh, switch off date. Though in practice, um, only some of them, uh, only a few of them, I suspect, will make it. And I mean, my advice to them is to go at their own speed because it doesn't really matter much. Um, I mean, it's not as if the ITU has any serious sanctions, and the practical issue is, you know, whether you've got cross-border interference, and um, the amount of cross-border interference if you've got a number of countries that are large and that are not necessarily um, uh, broadcasting huge amounts of digital terrestrial is going to be pretty limited in a couple of years. So I think they're much wiser to do it at their own pace and get it right than to, to rush for that deadline, which is now quite close. Uh, Middle East, um, Israel has switched, but I mean, a lot of the Middle East is, uh, broadcasting is dominated by satellite and it's a bit of a non-issue. But if the question is, will this go worldwide, I think my answer is in the end, yes, because the, there is pressure on spectrum, including in developing countries, telecoms, telecoms, um, organizations have seen how swiftly mobile telecoms spread in developing countries and see quite a lot of scope for expanding their business there and are hungry for spectrum. Uh, And in the case of Ghana, may provide a possible commercial partner with the government to to make it happen. And um, in the end, I mean, there may be a period of dumping first, but in the end, um, analogue uh, equipment will just become uh, obsolete, uh, you know, whether we're talking about um, receivers or transmitters. Uh, and um, it will become easier and cheaper to get hold of digital technology than to get hold of analog. And if you haven't got much television at all, um, why would you spread a lot of analog television and create a legacy problem for yourself? Well, you know, why not just leapfrog into digital? So I think steadily, over, but with a very long tail, um, it will spread um, throughout the world. So let me pause there and see whether you want to pursue any of that. And then I want to go on in the end to the sort of emerging outcomes and some of the sort of um, political and... um, the audience, some of the journalistic implications. So um, let let me take questions first.
1: I have a question Um, of the EU, the the group of countries within the EU that uh, were formerly um, communist. Yeah.
0: Are there common factors in their development or are there other striking differences? Um, There are quite significant differences between... Um, them, as far as the platforms are concerned, I mean, some are more heavily cabled than others, and the ones that are more heavily cabled will, you know, for the reasons I said, find it easier to, to switch. I think there are general problems which are, which are not to do with this technology, in that in the, their, um, uh, their broadcasting um, is not what we would call public service always. It's still residual state broadcasting in many cases coupled with commercial channels that have come in, often with, say, German money or or, or money from abroad. And so the um, the pattern of uh, broadcasting uh, is rather different from what it is in in Western Europe. Um, Generally, they're a bit behind, but they are moving. Um, I mean, in the south area, Croatia and Slovenia have switched. Hungary's quite well advanced. and um, I mean I haven't said anything about Russia, but Ru- Russia's got yes. serious about this or now Poland. as well. Uh, Poland, kind of started, but, but not. Yeah, they're, they're behind. But moving. Probably make um, 2015 if they don't make 2012.
1: Can I ask another question? Mm, well, which is um, a slightly different um, aspect of the question, which is um, the international broadcasting, or the
0: switch over from analogue to digital on satellite broadcasting. You probably know more about that than I do, Um, uh, I I would imagine. I mean, the the general um, rule is that satellite has switched to digital with its own commercial accord, and that um, from... Well, at least ten years ago, if, if if not more, it has been unnecessary for um, government policy to uh, push satellite broadcasting towards digital because it 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 it's going there. And the issues have tend uh, domestically have tended to be: um, do we need to make satellite carry the ser- the terrestrial services we want to switch off, and are there must carry issues? But for international broadcasting, you, you know, if we're talking about BBC World or CNN yes. or whatever. Um, they've gone digital, and um, uh, so probably have the satellite broadcasters in many of the countries where, where those services are being received. You know, India's full of satellite broadcasting, you know, digital satellite broadcasting. Set- well, satellite didn't have the investment in and asset write-off problem that cable and yeah, others did yeah, because yeah. you had to replace the satellites every six years or <laughs> anyhow, So, you know, uh, yeah. You just the new ones you put up, you went to digital and yeah. switched out the boxes, and so it went pretty easy for them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because you had subscription, you just bundled the cost of the box. And yes. subscription. and the, subscript- the whole process of managing the subscription became easier. Um, okay, well, let, let's uh, press on and then I'll leave plenty of time at the end. Um, emerging outcomes, well, some of these can be pretty familiar to you. I've I've distinguished between direct and indirect implications. I mean, clearly there are some direct implications of uh, transferring your um, broadcasting from analog to digital across the board. You get many more uh, television channels and you get um, HDTV and you get electronic program guides and things that um, you'll you'll be familiar with. And so, I mean, in terms of um, what this means for um, journalism and broadcasters uh, I mean the opportunity to make good use of new television channels is clearly a big factor and the you know the ratio is kind of 6 to 1 or more I mean it was 6 to 1 when we kind of started but there are now much um, uh, improved systems of compression and so on and you, you can really get even in terrestrial, um, uh, huge numbers of, 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 of channels, uh, particularly when you've switched off the analogue if you want to use some of the freedom spectrum for, for, for further channels. So um, we are looking, um, uh, you know, a commonplace thing to say, but we are looking at the end of um, a scarce spectrum for, for broadcasting, although it doesn't always feel that way. Um, but the indirect implications come really when we think about how uh, digital television is converging with. Um, uh, can, can I can the, Because the telcos are so much bigger,
1: you know, in any sort of level playing field auction, it will all get
0: bought up by the telcos in general for mobile. Yes, I mean, I think, I think there are, yeah, the two. Qualifications i make to that. I mean, one is obviously it depends on government policy. I mean, you can, you can have a government policy That's that says, um, well, we'll just have an open auction and we'll um, see who's interested in the spectrum, you know, without um, prejudging where it may come from. You can have a managed um, approach, um, uh, which I think is emerging in Europe, where you start to say, Well, let's think about using uh, the upper band for um, mobile telecoms across international frontiers on some collaborative basis. But where Spectrum is cleared in the middle of the broadcasting band, um, we might take a different view because it's a bit odd to stick telecoms in the the middle. So, So if you're allocating that
1: to broadcasters, is there a pattern emerging about whether they're then paying a competitive price against each
0: other, they're still being subsidised by having free spectrum as I, they I think, emerging? Um, not all that many countries have got to the last base yet, yeah. but I, I, my impression is that there are some countries that set out quite deliberately to say during the period of transition we will have Three multiplexes of digital terrestrial, mm-hmm. but when we have completed it, mm-hmm. we'll have six or, or whatever. In other words, they prejudge uh, an expansion, and I mean, in one or two cases, Croatia being an example, um, they more or less pushed through with a subsidy uh, the transition without any real increase in services, mm-hmm. and then freed up the spectrum, and then um, uh, you know you get extra broadcasters afterwards. So. Uh, the policies are quite varied um, in uh, Europe and, and, and the states um, uh, certainly the upper band um, has either been auctioned or has been ready for auction and there is a presumption that that will be used for, for, for mobile uh, mm-hmm. okay. um, yes yeah, so, so I mean you, you get the implications of um, convergence where you get as you're familiar with, t- t- TV on the internet, um, but we're also perhaps more significantly from the point of view of broadcasting uh, talking now about connected TVs where you get the internet on television mm-hmm. and um, I mean in a way um, we can go off down a, uh, a road that says what, what are the implications of the Internet for um, broadcasting—that that would be quite a big subject. I'm not going to try and do that. But if we look at uh, rather more specifically, what happens when you get the uh, the internet available on your main television set? And so the issue isn't whether you watch um, uh, television on a little thing like that and you know press for a program you uh, get on demand that you missed, but actually. You know, you sit with uh, some form of um, selection in your hands, and then um, you can actually bring up YouTube or um, uh, Netflix or um, BBC or Sky or whatever, um, almost seamlessly. Um, that 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 does that does get more interesting. Um, at the same time, we've obviously seen the um, growth of. Um, Uh, television on uh, mobile receivers, handsets, and um, on-demand services developing. So uh, there's quite a big change coming through hybrid services and through this kind of um, uh, overlap. Uh, The other obvious uh, thing that's going on is there is a shrinking role for terrestrial television, one way or another. Um, And um, uh, a man called Nicholas Negroponte, an American, uh, back in the early 90s, um, made an observation which is now sort of termed the Negroponte switch. Um, he observed that the things that we had been used to receiving through the air, by which he meant television, um, was going to go by wire, and the things that we had been used to receiving by wire, by which he meant telephony, was going to become wireless. That these things were flopping over, and um, I mean, there's more to it than that because, of course, there's uh, satellite as an ingredient. But there is some kind of long-term switch going on, um, mm-hmm. and the more convergence you get, and the more sophisticated the hybrid services and so on, you get, uh, the, the 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 more that carries through. I mean, just a, a small personal example: when the iPlayer first came out, I noticed a lot of other people looking at television on their computers. I'm a cable. Customer, so I could look at it on my set because NTL provided it, and it was very different. Um, just calling up um, last night's drama uh, on the iPlayer from watching it on a computer, and, and, and I think we're getting to the point where you know anybody would be able to do that uh, via various forms of um, hybrid technology. In terms of um, viewing habits, the change is is slow, and I, this is where I was going to mention Paddy Power's, I and mean, who's uh, I think together with. Um, Stephen Barnett, who makes this point quite frequently, um, really stressed the extent to which um, you know all these things have become technically possible. But if you look at how people use them, um, they are still watching an awful lot of live television. And I think I read something in the paper this morning about 90% of viewing is to scheduled schedule television, and mm-hmm. only 10% is to. Um, uh, on demand and, 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 and well, similar services. So. Most
1: of the so-called on demand is actually the same programmes off the DVR. Yeah. Yes. It's not, it's not true on demand at all. Sure. So well, all, uh, I mean, depends how you define on it demand. It does, but it's it's uh, in terms of content. So when people use this this terrible term linear TV, yeah, the definition flips between linear TV meaning live TV and linear TV meaning uh, content on the Linear channels, yeah, yeah. and and yes. so most of the 10% is still content from the linear
0: channels yeah. and which not um, in real time. Uh, and from viewers' point of view, that's that's great, <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> uh, but I mean, there's quite a lot. Of discussion around this point. I mean, one of the issues is: well, are we just seeing a sort of generational lag, um, and when um, connected TVs are actually out in the market, uh, and when a younger generation has displaced the present-aged generation, um, will actually the pattern be quite different, or does it reflect the fact that it's the um, it, it's the familiar friends from um, uh, analog television who are making the investment in original production, and that's what. People want so. Um, the, 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 I think the jury's out on sort of what happens next. But at the moment, I think we should note that the um, changes to viewing habits are, um, uh, are, are, are relatively slow. And then my um, final main uh, talking point, really, um, what 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 does this mean for um, uh, journalism and, 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 and democracy? Uh, there's a s- study going on under the aegis of a body called the Open Society Foundation, which is a Soros-funded um, uh, foundation, uh, into whether or not um, digitization is is good for, or bad for, uh, the values of the open society, which are things like um, democracy, freedom of expression, uh, pluralism, and, 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 and so on. and. Um, I'm on the editorial commission that advises them, as is um, Damien Tambini and one or two other uh, people who work in this field. And, I mean, we, we keep saying to them rather firmly that there cannot possibly be any direct correlation between technology and, and, and democracy. It all depends how you use it. Um, and, um, uh, but I think what they're looking at, and it, I mean, it, it's I, I've got reservations about what's being done uh, so far, but it's still in train. But what they're looking at, which is a perfectly legitimate thing to do, is to say, well, what are the opportunities and what are the threats in this area? Because, I mean, it does depend how you use it. So what are the opportunities? And uh, I mean, one of the obvious opportunities is additional channels. And you can either use additional channels for additional services from existing providers, additional channels from new providers, additional um, uh, spectrum devoted to uh, higher quality. Um, you, you know, you, you, you've got some choices there. But if you want to introduce a much more pluralist um, structure to go with the uh, plurality of, um, of, of of choices, there, 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 there is an opportunity there. And uh, I mean, similarly, the. Um, An opportunity is provided uh, in releasing spectrum for wireless uh, broadband if you um, uh, 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 are getting political and uh, social benefits uh, from that. Um, But um, I mean, it is possible to see um, new channels from new providers as as kind of gold in this territory, but you do need to look a bit uh, more critically than that because. I mean, obviously, the effect of of of, of pluralism um, is to reduce the share uh, of the audience of incumbents, and if the audience of and if the incumbents are sort of basically goodies, you know, could be ambivalent about that. On the other hand, if the incumbents are basically state-run channels and which the government calls the shots, um, then having pluralism is a good thing. So. I mean, one has to sort of look at it rather rather carefully. And, I mean, in this country, one of the big issues is um, are we seeing a reduction in the quality of service that ITV provides as its um, uh, audience shrinks and um, it's let off the hook of a number of... Um regulatory obligations that it, that it used to have. And so you, you do need to take quite a measured view uh, and ask yourself, well, who are these incumbents who, who, who are being affected and how much pluralism do we want and, and how much pluralism can you actually realistically have without um, uh, getting the kind of market crash that we had in um, uh, with ITD Digital or uh, Quiero in Spain. Um, but um, generally um, there are opportunities there. I think Um, this is obviously a a biggish and wider subject but I think given the uh, convergence of broadcasting and um, uh, telecommunications we are looking at um, uh, how some kind of converged content regulation might work in the future and that will presumably um, need to um, encompass some kind of frontier with whatever content regulation may emerge from the current debates about um, ab- 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 about the press. And uh, so there's quite a, 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 a tricky uh, set of issues there. We were um, at uh, a session with um, in I feel, Mark Thompson the other day who was arguing, it? as I think um, uh, Lord Patton did as well, uh, that we may be looking in this country at a sort of hierarchy of um, regulated um, systems with Broadcasters regulated more tightly than, than the press. I'm not sure. I mean, that kind of seems plausible at the moment. I'm not sure that that's how it will end up. And I mean, you you, you can you can argue um, about that, but I'm not sure that the means of distribution is necessarily always going to be the the, the the critical thing. You know, I could turn on the internet. I could turn on my connected TV, and I could get Telegraph TV. Um, and I could watch interviews on it. Um, So why should that be regulated differently from, say, Channel 5? And isn't the distinction more to do with the reach and power of particular media, regardless of their means of distribution? The other day Ofcom announced that it was withdrawing the license from press... TV for broadcasting in this country. Well, I turned on the internet the other day, and there it was. Mm. (laughs) I could watch it without any trouble. Um, And, you know, come the connected TV, I'll be able to watch it on my television set. So what have they done? And, I mean, I think in the end, um, there's more to this than we've perhaps yet um, digested. Um, And I think from it's likely to come some kind of loosening of the regulatory uh, requirements on commercial broadcasting, and, and which you may regard as good or bad, uh, but I think it's almost inevitable that there'll be restrictions on things that people don't want broadcast, whether by law or by some form of regulation. but there's going to be less of the, you must do religion, you must do drama in peak time, you must do this, uh, you must serve all these minorities. There's going to be um, a feeling that um, uh, pluralism is so great that, as it were, positive rather than negative um, uh, regulation is going to be eased which makes the role of public broadcasters uh, much more important in many ways because um, clearly if the market is going towards greater uh, liberalization and you want to uh, have regulated um, due impartiality or whatever the way in which the public broadcasters are regulated and their strength um, within the system is important it's fairly obvious um, from the survey I've done that, in general, digital switchover has been good for public broadcasters. We had a situation in the 90s where people were talking about a book by Michael Tracy called The Decline and Fall of uh, Public Service Broadcasting Across the World. Um, and you read this and you think... Well, it's very interesting, but actually (laughs) it hasn't turned out that way. Uh, But if you say, why hasn't it turned out that way? Um, Well, it's partly because the public broadcasters have been useful to governments in assisting and in facilitating the transition, uh, particularly in this country. um, But um, uh, it doesn't follow that it'll be the same when it's all over. And indeed, the financial uh, support for the BBC is (laughs) already showing signs of um, being slimmer than it was in the... um, the days when new, new, new channels and switchover costs had to be had to be funded. And I mean the other factor hard to evaluate but digital switchover in this country did set a precedent for um, the government starting to use bits of the license fee for its own purposes and it's now sort of, you know, got its own Pattern for using a licence fee for local television, and mm. you, you, you just the space needs watching as well. Actually, so um, uh, there's quite a lot that's fluid there. But generally, and I think this is my concluding point, that if you disaggregate the audience uh, w- with a more pluralistic system, and you've got the internet as well, you are basically headed for reduced political and, and arguably. Uh, major commercial influence on the media and i would observe um in conclusion that we have we seem to have fewer cases now of um intended censorship prior to broadcasting i mean back in the days when i was a television producer we had you know over the question of ulster or death on the rock or real lives as to whether these programs should actually be shown and there were you know, a handful of people who, if you rang them up, if you were a minister and you rang up the chairman of the BBC or the chairman of the IBA, you could stop something being shown. That's, I think that's gone now. And that generally, the more pluralism there is, the more difficult it will be to stop us seeing things, although there will no doubt continue to be fusses when somebody doesn't like what we can see.
1: When you say political influence, do you mean government?
0: Yes, I do, actually. Because, that's actually because I say that.
1: political influence can increase... I mean, if you, if you look at what's happened in the US, uh, you know, 30 years ago, the, the the networks, you know, accounted for whatever, 85, 90% of, of, of news viewing, TV news viewing, and they were reasonably balanced. What we
0: now have is, is you know, Fox TV and yes. MSNBC. So yes. It's, it's lowercase people. It's not, it's not yes. government. No, I, I mean, you're right, I, I did mean uh, government there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think uh, what's happened in the States, yes, I mean, it's sort of a combination of pluralism's effect on incumbents and uh, a loosening of regulation you know, the removal of the, um, yeah, the, the fair speech. Doctrine. Yeah. So um, I'll stop there, and um, uh, we'll be happy to have general discussion as much as answer questions, because the implications of all this are, um, uh, you know, what one view is as good as another, at this stage, since it's still all unfolding.